0: Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in reinventing what education is. Today, we'll be talking about traditional schools and how they connect to the community by looking at school events, parent communication, and the roles of parents within the school. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by Brendan of Wigan O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan?
1: I am not too bad, Rob. And how are you?
0: Yeah, pretty smooth. It is, what is the date today? April 26 that we're recording this, and we wanted to do a little check-in about uh, the impact of coronavirus in our educational contexts. So I wanted to share with you about the seemingly stereotypical Belgian thing that's happening right now, which is just, um, it's a bit of a a stereotype, but Belgians within Europe are often seen as a little bit scattered due to some of the uh, random political um, structure here. And uh, yeah, holding up to that, it seems like we're going to have an interesting time coming up as Schools are set to partially resume on May the 18th. But what that looks like sounds very complicated because primary school wraps up here in grade six. So there is talk that grade five and six students, as well as what we would say grade 11 and 12 students, so the end of primary and the end of high school, they will go back, but at first just one or two days a week, your choice. And there will only be 10 students in a room at any given time. Those students will either have to remain in that room for all of their lessons, where the teachers will be the ones who enter in and out. Students will only be able to use one bathroom in the building so that multiple students aren't using the same bathrooms. And uh, if there are to be any other students in the room, the room must be cleaned prior to that. Masks will be distributed to all staff and students, which will have to be worn at all times. And uh, where this gets complicated is it's not entirely clear yet if and when those other classes will return to school, although there is discussion of having all other grades do this physical return to school one day a week um, in the weeks after May 18th. But in the time being, all those other days of the week, teachers are still supposed to provide distance learning or crisis education or online learning during that time so just hearing all of those moving parts variables and just hours of the day that students and teachers will either be in school or not physically be in school it just sounds very potentially chaotic i'm optimistic but uh Just hearing the game plan, it sounds very, very all over the place.
1: What's interesting there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the state schools you're describing in Belgium are somewhat traditional. And if you listen to our episode a few weeks ago, we kind of set out how traditional schools have dealt with this. And in most cases, they've just given the students a large pile of work and they'll bring it back in. And if I turn this back to the the Japanese state schools, they've operated in a very similar situation. But um, rather than coming towards the end of the school year, they've just started to their new school year. So there's a really big incentive for Japanese state schools to go back, but there's a lot of concern. The number of cases has not really decreased and hasn't, it hasn't quite plateaued yet. And so we were supposed to go back, both state schools and private schools, as I teach in a private school, we were supposed to go back uh, after what is called Golden Week, which is a national holiday, uh, a series of national holidays next week. They haven't officially in Osaka extended it to June the 1st, but that seems to be worthy. Uh, going. So there's a good chance that we will be continuing this to June the 1st. And that takes us to within about four weeks of the end of our school year. Japanese schools will run till April with a summer break as part of their year. And so what I predict happening in the Japanese schools is that they will either ask students to come in during their summer break, which has been suggested, or they'll just give them extra homework to do throughout the summer. And this is somewhat shocking to the British, but Japanese kids generally do homework work throughout the whole summer anyway. So in both of these countries, the traditional kind of mindset, the, 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 the more old school approach to education is trying to get their heads around how to continue this. And I guess if we look at my school, which is more on the mainstream going into the progressive side, which has a lot more online teaching and learning happening, I feel like we've we've reached a point where we've got some strategies that we can sustain till the end of the year. Now we've still got issues of how do we increase interaction with kids? video conferences and stuff and we're starting to move more and more into more even more active online video stuff so more PE um, and more interactive story times and things like that so everyone's still dealing with it in their own way and it's still very much up in the air um so watch this space basically and we hope whatever school system you are embroiled in is dealing with it in a way that is keeping you physically and mentally healthy
0: yeah. And one last comment about the traditional school. You and I, we had had this exchange already where we said, I think in that traditional mindset, unless you're in the same room with each other, unless you're seeing each other face to face, it can't, it's not really school. It can't really be counted as as real, true education, the right thing, what is supposed to be happening, the right way to be doing this. And I'm. I, this is a bit of a heuristic, maybe I'm just making this up, but it's like, I think, f- especially from that traditional school of viewpoint, the necessity of getting back into the physical space together is a very high priority, whether or not it makes a lot of logistical sense at this point. Even if it's not very practical, there is that real community value of just being able to see each other eye to eye, be in the same room, and be social together. (laughs) Even if that's only 10 of you at a time with masks on, that's still better to be there for that day than to go five days online compared to the one day in person, four days online kind of thing.
1: I I fully agree agree but uh not to add too much to this discussion i think the traditional mainstream and the progressive schools all really value being in the same room but i think it's only the traditional school right now that doesn't seem to have really strong strategies for sustaining teaching and learning over the next few months and so they're almost by their own design of the system they're forced into bringing kids back into that classroom as quickly as possible so that they can give them more work to do whereas i think the mainstream and progressive now we've got some some fairly decent from what I understand online kind of solutions. Yeah. Shall we leave it there and move on to our next segment? Now we're we going to do nutshell next. Yeah, let's where do we're going? It in a Nutshell. So here is here is where we are and I'm being I'm, I'm embodying the mainstream the mainstream opportunity and competitive value here. Last time, last week, I managed to do this nutshell in two minutes and fifteen seconds. I'm throwing the gauntlet down to you, Mac. Can you keep that quality sky high? <laughs> I'm not sure if I actually I'm not sure if I missed anything important, but can you keep the quality high while hitting that speed train? I'm bringing it under 2 minutes and 15 seconds. Challenge I can that.
0: almost guarantee it won't be less than 2.15, because you also spoke rather quickly last week. Oh, is that, but,
1: a, is that a criticism, Mac, of my No, it's just a strategy that I noticed. It is. Um, Speaking fast is a good strategy if you want to get things done quickly.
0: <laughs> but I will attempt to at least uphold the level of quality. That you shared last week. And I'm sure
1: you will. You always do. But I'm going to time you anyway, just so that I can gloat, should you not make the two minutes 15. All right. You want me to give you a countdown? Please. Three, two, one, go.
0: So here on Reinventing Education, we have a very specific framework that we are using in order to take apart education and put it back together in a meaningful way. Um, This starts by assuming good intention. We all want the best from education. We want the best education for our kids. We want a strong education system that supports our society, reinforces our citizenry. But how do we do that? There seems to be a lot of -of tug-of-wars happening about how we do this. Essentially, we're saying that education— schools has have three aims so that is to build citizens cultivate citizenship number two preparing people for work or the next stage of school. And third, individual development, so developing the self. And there are three types of educational establishments that we're identifying, and we believe it's important that you can see these three very distinct camps who are having a tug of war over what today's education looks like. These three being the traditional, mainstream, and progressive educational establishments. So the traditional, this is essentially old school school. It's organized around the value of security, tends to focus on duty, self-discipline, tradition, and authority. Those are at its core. Second type of educational establishment, the mainstream school. This is kind of your typical western public system school. It's based on the value of opportunity. It's organized around that with a focus on meritocracy, achievement, and measurable progress and reaching goals. And the third type of educational establishment we're calling the progressive school. Now this is a school that is organized around the value of inclusion and centered around deconstructing what has already happened in school and is in search of meaning for both the student and the culture at large around the school. Now these three value systems, security, opportunity, and inclusion, which we just discussed, each have their very own distinct way of being and typically see the other two as being wrong. Now what we are saying here on Reinventing Education is that each of these value systems actually has some things that we want to keep and some things that we might be better off without. So you'll hear us referring to babies and bath waters to make these distinctions between what we think each of these three has right, but what they also have may be wrong. Here, Brennan and I, we are looking at an emerging fourth value system. This is a value of integration, and essentially the integration value seeks to look back at these three values, reflect on them, find their strengths, identify them, and then to take those, but leave behind the less helpful components of the traditional mainstream and progressive approach. And we believe that this is necessary because our living conditions in the 21st century are VUCA conditions Conditions. So V-U-C-A, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity inform the world that our children will enter. So rather than bring anything new to the table, the integration value kind of seeks to be like a bit of a buffet or a tool belt, which essentially looks back at these previous three values and tries to choose what is best for itself, given the diverse needs of students today and, and for students entering this very complex world. So essentially the integration value wants to to grab whatever it can from these previous values to best suit the context that it is in. So when we talk about school or education, Bren and I here on the podcast, we use the eight aspects of education which are informed by the quadrants from the integral approach model. And essentially we're looking at the beliefs and responses of individuals. We're looking at the shared community and culture of the groups. We're looking at the observable actions and resources that we could actually see happening in school. And the systems and environments of how the structures are organized. All three value systems that we've mentioned, including the fourth value of integration, will have different things that we could see across these different eight aspects. Although some of the aspects may look the same, but are being done for completely different reasons due to the different value systems. So Bren and I are kind of engaged in this active inquiry into how do we acknowledge these value systems, how they have different ideas about how to accomplish the three aims of education, and we're doing so by diving deep into these eight aspects of education. There you have it. Awkward
1: mic drop. Very good try, my friend. You brought all the goods to the table in a nutshell. When just a smidge over two minutes and 15 seconds. <laughs> Shall we move on? Sure. Before we, do, before we do move on, I do want to give you a big up because that that is a huge amount of information that you managed to get into a very short amount of time. Very condensed. And if you have not been with us before, hopefully that gives you a pretty good overview of what we're talking about. We do have this, this map of how to reinvent education. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to set that out in more detail in an upcoming episode. <music> But yes, as you mentioned, we have a section that you introduced a while ago, which I've grown to love, called The Reverse Sponsorship. Do you have one for us today, Robert McLeod? Indeed I do.
0: It's something that we mentioned over a year ago on the podcast, but it reemerged in a conversation between you, myself, and my good friend Lenny McLeod. No relation. And I wanted to mention a documentary that I saw last November called School Circles, um, a fantastic documentary that highlights some practices in the aspect of education of community. Community and culture, and also a very clear example of a system that I would say is coming from the progressive approach to school that we will talk about here on the show. And uh, yes, essentially check it out. It goes into great depth about how democratic schools in the Netherlands practice sociocracy. Check out schoolcirclesfilm.com. I can't recommend it highly enough if you want to get a glimpse at how a progressive school might organize communication and uh, decide how it organizes and
1: operates. Sounds very cool. Um. So yeah, check that out, listeners. But what have I brought to the table? Is it another book by a dead, a dead man? You bet your life it is. What I brought here is a book called The Conditions of Learning by Robert Gagne. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, uh, you know, Rob, you know me. I'm a systems-minded kind of chap. So what possibly could be more appealing? than a book called The Conditions of Learning and Theory of Instruction. Now, it sounds really dry, and it is, but also, it's pretty cool. So Ganya and one of the things that I've heard describe Ganya's work is the Ganya Assumption, which basically says that different types of learning exist and that different instructional conditions are most likely to bring about those different types of learning. Sounds like it might have been written to describe our reinventing education theory of how the different types of schools will act and instruct and teach and learn in different ways. And and Ganya essentially in here, he's talking, he sets out some pretty concrete steps of how you teach somebody. First of all, you get their attention, and then you find out what they already know, and then you teach them something new, and then you review it. That's an oversimplification, but it's a pretty good step. Essentially, he was coming through uh, post-war, and he was probably one of the first people to set these out, along with Benjamin Bloom, and we've talked about his hierarchy before for different types of learning. And Gagne's hierarchy of learning basically says you start off with, like, behavioral stuff, like, just remembering and understanding it, and then you move up to the cognitive aspects of actually problems solving them and and applying that so he's got a lot of crossover with um them with Bloom's taxonomy which I really love and we talk about how the more traditional schools may focus more heavily on those behavioral aspects of remembering and understanding and as you move into the more progressive school they move and hopefully build on top to move towards more problem solving and application. So, I'm really interested in getting to the nuts and bolts of the conditions of learning. So, thank you Mr. Ganya and uh, I'll put I'll throw a link in the description as we will for the school circles and all the good stuff we talk about today so what we're here for though we're here for content you want to set context of that content mac indeed
0: i do so over our last dozen episodes or so now we've been going in depth into the traditional values at the top of the show there in the in a nutshell we mentioned the three different value systems and we're putting the traditional value, the traditional value of security, under the microscope and looking at it in depth. And we've done so via a thought experiment where we've taken a tour of a school that is completely informed by this security value. Now in 2020, Nowhere in the world will you find any school that is entirely informed by just any one of these values. There there are going to be some kind of mix of ratio between the three values. So the school you'll hear us describing, it may sound familiar because you will see this in some schools in 2020, um, but we're not looking at any one School in particular, this is a thought experiment school where everything is informed by security in a traditional school. And we are today possibly going to wrap up the discussion. We'll see if we actually are able to stick to our time or not. But we're going to look at school events, parent communication, the roles of parents in the school, and uh, some community outreach, how the school connects to the larger community. So shall we get started with school events, Brendan? If we enter a traditional school, what kind of events and uh, will be happening and what do they look like?
1: So in a traditional school, you will see often induction or opening ceremonies. These are, are a big thing. As our graduation ceremonies, you will see the sports day. We talked about that in a previous episode. We'll have Christmas concerts, maybe an end-of-year play where the oldest kids might perform or the, the dramatic club. Um, they may even have family picnic times and just more social events. A summer fest or an end-of-year kind of like fun festival where they'll have games. Games and, and, and activities, and that favorite of everyone's, the talent show. Now, the purpose, basically, of all these events is to celebrate and strengthen the community. It's to bring parents in and to get us all on the same page and really indulge in that kind of uh, uh, culture building and building of the community. So what are some of the kind of babies or the good stuff that we want to keep from these events in traditional schools, Rob? We want ritual
0: and we want ceremony. Ritual and ceremony are so fundamental to creating and sustaining and even nurturing, I think, any culture. So having these kind of similar looking events year after year, you know, like here's how we do our opening of the school, here's how we do graduation, these, they begin to take on like a life greater than themselves. They really become like important rites of passage. Maybe there's certain events you only do in a certain grade level and, you know, in the years leading up to it, as a grade three, you're excited for the grade five, you know, overnight school 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 field trip or whatever it is, that kind of thing, or your role in sports day or at the Christmas concert or in the the end of the year play, and to that point, they also add like stability and security to the year. We know when we do the Christmas concerts; it's always the first Monday of the week before you know Christmas holidays. Or you know, we always know that uh, the graduation ceremony for the grade eights is the night before the last day of school, and it creates just this ongoing sense of structure year by year. And it really makes you feel like you are a part of something. There is something kind of cool knowing that hey, even if your parents went to this school. They participated in something very similar to what you're experiencing now. And also on the social side, like just by connecting on these special days, they mean the community works better for the rest of the year. You know, in one of the schools I worked at, uh, in Canada, like there was a a school-wide barbecue on like the third week of school. And, you know, parents might only see each other again at the Christmas concert and at something towards the end of the year, but it was one of those few times you had the entire school, all parents, all kids, all teachers all together, and just really create this kind of cool sense of togetherness and last but not least like it's just tried and tested and you know that these kinds of events work well i even kind of laugh looking back at some of my schools that uh I attended and then later worked at years later meant some of the same resources, some of the same slides that were used when I was a kid were still being used 20, 25 years on. So there is just this kind of idea of like we have the way these things are done, the people might change over the years, the groups of students might change over the years, but what we do remains the same. And and I think that's That's how you build an ongoing sense of culture and identity. So that sense of ritual, ceremony, and tradition are the things we want to keep. What about some bathwater? What would we like to get rid of here?
1: Well, I think for every person that loves the tradition, there might be your more mainstream or progressive person who says, this is boring. It's outdated. It no longer has a meaning to our community and people are just going through the motions. So why are we just bringing people here, wasting their time and the interactions they have are not rich and meaningful. And a progressive school especially would want those interactions to be meaningful. So if you're sat in rows watching the people on the stage for an hour and then you have a brief chat and go home it's super nice and but it's just a presentation is there a way to actually get more meaning into the interactions and they might want to see a little bit more novelty to motivate and inspire people again the same performance year after year the same slides year after year can we can we can we put our heads together and get some kind of spark that might energize this and just bring it you know fresh make it fresh is the word that you might hear <laughs> someone in a mainstream or even progressive school use just to blow the cobwebs away and 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 then this would actually inspire people motivate and bring more meaning they also see that sometimes these big events are exclusionary maybe there's smaller events that are necessary to bring people in or maybe we have to change these events to bring in uh, what may be now a more diverse set of people that are in our community and really celebrate that diversity and richness in our community there may these traditional events don't do. Um I think that a mainstream school in some of these events especially like the summer fest and things like that they might see a missed opportunity to make some cash for the school. They might they might introduce things like snack bars. They might introduce things like raffles and fi- and, and activities to to try and get some money for the school. So they may they may say that there's a missed opportunity there. And I I think also with things like the talent show which in a traditional school um might not actually focus very heavily on the competitive aspect of it. They might just be to show the best people in our school performing, I think a mainstream school, but want to add their edge to it. They're all about competition. They might want to say, well, can we not make this actually a little bit more like a battle of the bands or a showdown to kind of, you know, spice it up a little bit. Whereas on the other side of things, the, the progressive school might say, if you only ever have your very best people that maybe go for piano lessons every night of the week, or, or ballet, you're kind of cutting out all those people that just want to give it a try and might feel like this is not an environment where you can try these things. You'll be mocked if you go up on the stage and, and your voice isn't operatic. You may be mocked. Now hopefully in a healthy traditional school that wouldn't be the case but it's certainly I know that in some traditional schools this idea of you not technically being very adept can sometimes, uh, it can sometimes be an environment where it's okay to mock or or denigrate people who don't have that talent. And of course, we want to celebrate people who are talented, but we probably don't want to destroy the hopes and dreams of hearts uh, and hearts of anybody just because they don't. Because they can't hit three octaves above high C or whatever. (laughs) They can't play Rachmaninoff with their eyes closed. So yeah, I think they would not necessarily see that the events themselves are terrible and they would have many of the same events in their school, but they would probably... I'll be looking to update them and add meaning to them. Yeah. And I want to
0: throw in one other I guess cautionary tale of, uh, of updating some of those traditions. And I'll just give one small anecdote from my school because I was directly involved in this. So I work at a German school in Brussels and so it's essentially mostly families who are in Belgium for a while but will eventually return back to Germany and parents want uh, continuity of their kids being in the German system so that when they return it's not Um, a difficult transition. And every year, the school has put on a traditional German Christmas market around the Christmas times. And if you've never been to Germany, perhaps you just have to see it to believe it. But it is such a rich cultural tradition of Germany to have these little booths with food, snacks, and all this sort of stuff. And the school has been doing this for years. And it's, you know, something larger than the school. A lot of the neighborhood, you know, who maybe doesn't even speak German still attends because they absolutely love this kind of authentic German thing. And the discussion came up this year of, hey, we've been doing this for decades. The school has actually been around for almost 200 years. So, you know, have been doing at least this version of it for As long as anyone can remember, should we update it with something beyond just the German thing? Should we be, you know, making this more international and having food from other cultures? And what was an interesting role reversal was the German teachers were actually quite open to that concept of, yeah, we you know, we should maybe see if others want to get involved. And it was actually myself who spoke up and was like, No, like the thing that makes this so amazing is that it is like the traditional German market, and I wouldn't want to see that watered down. And I almost had to fight and make the case for it, oddly enough. And in the end they were like, Yeah, it is true. The feedback we get is that everybody likes this because it is kind of this familiar thing and in and, and done in this very kind of like german christmasy way and it it is kind of the thing that gets us in the mood for the season so it is the one cautionary tale that just because something is traditional and has been done in the same way it doesn't have to be gone as long as it is still meaningful and i guess enjoyed or valued by the community
1: and i think that's the line isn't it it's it, the it may be the traditional school doesn't consciously think whether the event is meaningful and i think a more mainstream or progressive school may still do the event, but they may consider on a yearly basis of, is this still meaningful in this way? So it's more that cognition. All right, onwards and upwards. So this is Parent Teacher Conferences, or as we call them quaintly in England, Parent Evening. Doesn't tell you anything about <laughs> So... Uh, How would a parent-teacher conference look in a traditional school? And maybe throw in some of the other types of parent communication we might find.
0: Yeah, so how often do these kinds of nights happen? Most often, twice a year in the traditional school. And in all honesty, often one is kind of mandatory, and the second one is somewhat optional. And you might even see attendance from parents drop off considerably in the second optional one. When the teacher and the parents sit down to have a discussion, there are two things on the parent's mind. First of all, they want to know if their kid is behaving. And second of all, where their child is in the class. Are they they at the lower end or at the higher end or somewhere in the middle? Are there concerns for the kid in terms of how they're doing in relationship to the others? And what's interesting here is it is very old school in that what the teacher says is gospel. There's a real respect for the teacher's methods because they are the expert at learning here. What they're saying by and large is not to be questioned. Their judgment, their opinions, what they say is gospel. Now, there might also be a larger group meeting involved in this in which information is given about school trips for example or upcoming school events, but all of this information is going one way. It's coming from the teacher and it it is going to the parents. Now, as far as parent-teacher communication goes, um, teachers are basically only going to contact you with practical information. So again, about a field trip or something like that. Now, as far as how the school as a whole communicates to, let's say, potential parents who might be considering attending the school, the admissions team or department at the school, they're going to look at the way they sell themselves differently than the other two values. They're going to look at the way that they sell themselves to parents As parents being sold on tradition, they're gonna emphasize like the prestige of the school, the self-discipline that they instill in students. Typically, as we said in our last episode, traditional schools have awesome facilities and that their school is going to be kind of like huge help to get you entrance to the best universities. Now, there's a good chance that a mainstream school would also tell you that they are gonna help you get into the best universities, but they're probably more likely to focus on achieving the best test scores or emphasis on like competitive pricing, these sorts of things. But that's not the case here in the traditional school. It's more about tradition and trust that we will our school will be able to open the doors your child needs in the next phase of their life. So babies and bathwaters here, Brennan. What good things do we wanna keep? From from this traditional approach to parent communication?
1: Well, one thing is that when you're sitting face-to-face in a parent-teacher conference, the information is given to you directly, it's clear. And the teacher is a trusted authority in the traditional school. And they've spent a lot of time with your child, and so they're speaking from experience as well as authority. And so essentially, in a traditional school, you would take what they say at face value and you would take it on board as the voice of authority if 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 the teacher says your child is good and behaving themselves. It may be that you don't need any more nuance than that. It basically means we all understand what good means and it means your child is behaving themselves in class and you don't have anything to concern yourself. It may be in terms of their academic work, the teacher just tells you if they can do it or if they can't do it. And again, you may get a little more information, but you probably won't and that might be enough. If the teacher tells you your child can do it, great. If they tell you they can't do it, then they may tell you a little bit more information about why and how. Essentially, it's going to be be very simple. And as you said, it's going to be those two questions. Are they behaving themselves? And academically, where are they in the class? Now, in terms of the other information, you know, again, it's good to not be bothered with a whole bunch of stuff when you don't need to be. And so these teachers will give you practical information in a timely manner. They'll tell you that this trip is upcoming. Here's a letter. Here's information about the trip or the event. If they do contact you for another reason, it may be because there's been an issue at school. But even in that case, you want to know about that issue and the clear and timely information from the person in authority is really important. So this is a baby. We don't want those teachers or we don't want the school to move too far away from giving clear and timely information with this kind of ex- voice of experience. It's they, they know what they're talking about. And so, yeah, basically, if you get any information from the school that tells you that there's an issue, they're essentially asking you to step up your duty as a parent. And again, this traditional school is very much about duty. And so, again, if you are a duty-minded person and you want to raise your child quote-unquote right, the voice of authority telling you that you need to make some changes and you need to bring more of your duty to raise your child, that would be welcomed by a traditional parent. Now, what may some of the other school systems see as drawbacks or bathwaters in the way that the traditional school does its parent-teacher conferences or communicates with parents. So
0: the idea that you'd only meet twice a year might sound terrifying, actually, to either the mainstream or the progressive schools. And there'd be a huge concern about how little information parents are actually receiving, in particular, about maybe the methods or the approaches of the teaching and learning. In the traditional school, there tends to be this slightly Wizard of Oz approach of not informing parents of all of the nuts and bolts that are going on within the school because that actually reduces our security a little bit by removing full trust from parents towards the teachers so by keeping communication to a minimum that works to maintain that security for a traditional school but it certainly would not be met as favorably by the next two values of um, opportunity and inclusion and also there's just so much going on in school you know it's crazy to think that you could sit down for maybe 10 15 minutes twice a year and actually be able to communicate and provide feedback on all the teaching and learning that's going on. Brennan, you said this is you know approximately 500 hours you're going to communicate on in about 10 or 15 minutes, two times a year with parents, if that. Also, just the fact of how one-way the communication is. Um, parents spend a lot of time with their kids, far more than teachers do. So they have far more nuance about the individual needs strengths and weaknesses of their kids as well. You know, this should be a time or could be a time for teachers to be harvesting, gathering, you know, receiving more information from the parents. As well in the traditional minded school there tends to be an emphasis on mistakes or the neutral. There's not necessarily a lot of praise that gets thrown around and you know, we want to see a higher degree of praise the the uh, opportunity and inclusion values and not just kind of complaints or neutral comments. Now Brendan, you've mentioned something about parent-teacher communication uh, with a study here. Maybe you could comment on that.
1: Yeah, and I guess this is this is a, a research paper out of the University of Islam in Indonesia, and essentially says what we know from our discussions as teachers, that the more parents are involved in school and knowing about what their kids do in school, the better they can support. So this, this research paper basically just backs this up, and it was one of a number that I, I, I found, and I, I like this one. It was pretty clear, and it basically just said that parents are best suited to meet kids needs and they should be informed of progress in school and and issues in school and they should be listened to because not only does this help everybody to support the kid. It inc- actually increases the involvement of the kid because they feel more comfortable and more motivated inside school. So what are some of the other things that maybe the um, more opportunity mainstream schools or the progressive inclusion schools might critique about this way of informing parents?
0: So, if a parent who has more of that opportunity value in them walks into one of these traditional parent teacher conferences, they might be a little bit caught off guard that all they're being told about is how well their kid's behaving and where they're at in terms of the others in the class. They might want to know a lot more and have a lot more details. They might want numbers, data, you know, specific information on an exact reading stage, or a level in their sort of differentiated ability groupings, these sorts of things. And to track, like to compare, hey, earlier in the year, your kid was at this stage, and now they're at this, and that's A little bit ahead of schedule or a little bit behind schedule. They would want a lot more data to be brought up. And also the class rankings, um, assuming they were being based on objective criteria, which may or may not be happening in a traditional school. We often say traditional teachers often rely on their gut instinct, or as it's often referred to, like, you know, professional discernment. Um, Even if those class rankings are true, it's not really that helpful. If you're just comparing your kid within the group of the class. Maybe you have 20 other future Albert Einsteins in the class, and the fact that they're not the top of the heap uh, isn't actually that helpful to know objectively how your kid is doing. And one of the comments we mentioned back in our feedback episode that you might hear from a traditional-minded teacher who's influenced by the value of security is this idea of simply the student needs to try harder. And this might be a comment that a traditional teacher makes. You know, this, the student, they, they know, I know they can do it. They just need to try harder. And effort is certainly important. Self discipline is certainly important. But not everything is solved simply by determination or motivation. There might just need to be some real practical next steps and strategies that need to be brought in here. And I know, you know, it, when I'm meeting with parents, I usually try to wrap up a meeting with. A bit of an opportunity influence practice by straight up saying, you know, here are the two next steps I'm going to be trying with your child in class. How, here's how I'm going to support them. Are there ways you can help support them as well and, you know, kind of create a little action plan together? So that's emphasis on the opportunity minded parent there. If we're looking at um, the perspective of the progressive schools, the schools informed by inclusion. They're probably noticing a lack of focus on wellness here. How is the kid doing, you know, within themselves? That would be something that I think would want to be focused on here. And, uh, You've got a link in here as well, Brennan, about tips for great parent-teacher conferences. Do you want to touch on that?
1: Well, the article is from a website called The Resilient Educator, and it's, it's just a list of good parent-teacher conference hints and tips. And uh, sadly, although after what we've just described, I'm overly surprised in 2020, the traditional school parent-teacher conference doesn't hit many of them. So the author, Jennifer Gunn, does suggest that you want to be flexible in your times and dates. You want to praise students heavily. You want to have clear goals and you want to stay in contact with the parents before and after the parent teacher conferences. Uh, Those all seem like really smart things to do and I know the mainstream school and the progressive school does a lot more of this stuff. Um, Maybe the traditional school can learn a few things from the other value systems and bring some of those things in just to make those parent-teacher conferences a little bit more effective and meaningful. But if we were then to move on to this idea of parents playing a role within a school, sometimes parents will have unpaid jobs in assisting the school in its day-to-day operations. One of the big ways that parents might get involved in the school is the PTA. The Parent Teacher Association. And in some places around the world, this is more of a deal than others. In Britain, it's it's generally not a huge deal, but parents will get involved in organizing events. In Japan, it is an absolutely massive deal. And parents will be heavily involved in many of the large events in the school and much of the operations of the school. Now we talked earlier about keeping the parents at the gate. In a traditional school, they may they may like to keep the parents at a distance. They may even feel a little bit concerned if parents start to ask too many questions about what's going on inside the school and question the authority. However, there are places in a traditional school where parents are invited in, and sometimes this might be to help out in the library, especially with the kind of menial task of returning books and and tidying up. They may become a, a member of the parent teacher association and. And that might give them some some kind of say in the running of the school. And in the UK particularly, particular, the governing board is made up m- mainly of um, parents and they have actually quite a large amount of power. In fact, in the UK, the governing board is responsible for hiring the head teacher. So if a head teacher is employed in, in, uh, in Britain, uh, especially in a primary school, they will have been employed by a group of parents, which is a really interesting take on it. I don't know if anywhere else in the world does that. Parents might also be involved in the cleanup of the school. They might to work with students or just help out just to keep the grounds nice and tidy. Now actually why I was going to throw in an anecdote here like my dad now I went to much more of a, a mainstream kind of school, but my dad was heavily involved. He was a, a joiner, a carpenter. And when I was there at school, he built a whole bunch of kind of play stuff for kids. It was wonderful, like a Noah's Ark style thing in the front of the kindergarten nursery kind of place. And so uh, there are opportunities where the school will bring in people they know in the community to do some of these jobs. Um, However, as with all of this stuff, there are babies and there is bathwater. What are some of the babies... What are some of the great things that the traditional school does in bringing parents in to help out around the school?
0: So when we look at the different aspects of school, one of the things we talk about is the aspect of resources. And although it might sound a little bit crass, we include human resources in this. So people are resources within the school and we can look at how those are being used and parents are an insanely valuable resource more ways than one like these are people who from their own goodwill are often willing to work for the community without costing the community actually any money so a lot of volunteer work goes on here and you know schools really are this is just a blessing for them you know the PTA may actually like run some of the events which takes pressures off of some of the teachers or other staff at the school, which is fantastic and it allows for this like flourishing community. It also gives the parents a chance to be seen by the community, by students, by teachers, have them seen doing their duty and allows them to really feel this sense of connectedness and like that their time, their work, their effort is worthwhile and known and seen by the community. There's also a strong sense of community roles. You mentioned you know in Japan this is a very um like a high honor to be part of this and you know as well the, the roles in the UK there of uh, actually having the parent board involved in hiring the the heads and things like that like that's that's incredibly important and again i think links back to that idea of proud tradition that even as parents in our community, you're contributing in meaningful ways that will echo forward into the future. And last but not least, like it lets parents into the school at least a little bit so that parents can see what authority is doing parents can see how the school is being run well and i think at the end of the day when you're being informed by that value of security and and when that really matters to you it you know assuming the school is running well it really helps to build some of that trust by being you know transparent to the degree that parents can see this and the school that you and i worked at previously, Brandon, in Germany, I thought had a really fantastic chart where it showed a few outward going circles. And, uh, you know, it talked about, hey, here are the things that parents can have control over. Here are the things that parents can have some influence over. And here are the things that parents do not have a say in. And this is entirely on the school. So it's sort of a sliding scale of the balance between, you know, what um what's within the realm of control for a parent what's within the realm of control for the school or for a teacher and i thought it was really good to make those boundaries clear and i think in this case you know the traditional school there there is a place for parents to have some control but i think more more or less there's a lot that maybe perhaps is out of bounds that sense of boundaries that's also important just for the the successful running of a school to make that clear and and have that on the table. But what about bath waters? What about drawbacks here?
1: Yeah, and I, I like what you're saying there about the boundaries, because that seems to be moving to more towards what a mainstream school would do to want to set those clear boundaries here. Parents, you're not going to make an immediate change on the curriculum. You might have a little bit of a say on some of the teaching and learning techniques or feeding back to what you think's working. But And you have a lot of influence over the events in the school and uh, maybe even some of the facilities. So kind of know your place, but the traditional school might not actually put it in writing. But they definitely have those ideas in their heads, I think. And I think what some of the opportunity mainstream school or the progressive inclusion school might see is that it's not a super healthy mindset to need to keep your parents at an arm's length just in case they know too much about what you're doing and ask too many questions. It kind of breeds this idea that we're doing something wrong or that we're not actually very secure in what we do. Whereas actually the traditional school, if they're doing it well, are very secure in what they do, but still will be questioned by people who have different value systems. And so what the progressive and mainstream schools might want is a greater interaction with the community the mainstream school might want to use the community a little bit more and take advantage of the skills and take advantage of what the community can offer whereas the kind of more progressive school might just value that inclusion as they are an inclusion-based kind of school. I think one of the things that the mainstream school might be looking for is do we have any specialists? I said my dad helped a little bit and he built some things for the school. I think the mainstream school will be just looking in its whole community do we have any doctors who can come in to talk about health? Do we have any carpenters? Do we have any artists? Do we have any dancers? Do we have anybody we know in this community that we can use as a resource to build our teaching and learning and that might run as far as them coming in running clubs running lessons running units i don't want to blow my dad's horn too much but he also was a painter and he came to my school and he did painting lessons with the kids and we had many other parents in it, in most of the schools i've worked at who would come in It's much more of a mainstream thing the traditional school like we say they make they miss an opportunity there for something really good within the community now could the parents also support the academics generally? Again, this would not be an area that the traditional school would want parents messing around in. Whereas the mainstream school and progressive school would more and more include them as valuable members of the community. And the mainstream school particularly might get parents into to read with kids, even do some maths work with kids. And the more progressive schools might just get them in fully just to immerse themselves in this inquiry process. And so I think, again, the traditional school, by keeping parents at an arms, length is missing a lot of the value that the community could bring to the school. The other way to flip it is to say, the mainstream of progressive schools might say, can we actually use our parent body to communicate our message and our mission out to the wider community so that we can actually build stronger links with the community around us, the town, the village, even the country. And basically, the progressive school particularly would see that any kind of parent involvement, celebrating our diversity and bringing the the, the wide range of people we have in our community and their skills and their backgrounds, their experience, whether that's via Um, cultural events or just having a range of people, as we said earlier, had particular skills who could come in and work with the students. Both of those values would critique the traditional school's approach of you can come in and and pick up the garbage a little bit and you can tidy the books, but that's pretty much the extent
0: of what we want you to be doing. Or lice checks as well. It seems in all three value systems, parents somehow are the ones who come in and do lice checks, which I find fascinating.
1: Well, they do know lice. Believe me, as a you get, to know, you get to know life a lot, a lot more than you ever want to.
0: So now moving on to community outreach in a traditional school. This is one of those interesting things, O'Leary, where there's always some kind of artificial boundary between where the school ends and begins and where the community around it ends and begins. And of course, no school is an island. It functions within a local community, but also now in a global community too. So the traditional school would historically have had very strong links to various aspects of the local community. So this often looked like the police coming in to do talks about being good citizens or doing bike training, road safety, having the fire department in to talk about fire safety, and perhaps having local doctors or physicians come in to do actual yearly health checks that might even be required by the school. Um, Or maybe to come in and talk about healthy eating. Sometimes local artists will come in. But the schools themselves are run by local education authorities or school boards. And you may see students interacting, you know, once or twice a year with very specific events. So maybe they go out and do some Christmas carol singing at the retirement home in the area or, you know, do some litter pickups on Earth Day or something like that, but it's sort of the sense of duty of like, you should do this, this is something we, the young kids, do in our community. Now in terms of like the global community, we might see something like pen pals, so where students are you know teamed up with a classroom with another school somewhere around the world, or there might be some kind of link with a sister school, but I would say that's kind of one of the few areas where you would see an actual global connection
1: Within a traditional school. So, Lear, if we're
0: looking at babies and bathwaters here, what are some of the good things we want to keep from this?
1: So, the traditional school, you know, obviously is very community minded, but often on a, on a loc- in a local way. So what this kind of does, this community outreach acknowledges that we're part of a, a larger community outside of the school and that kind of adds security to what we do. We're not in this alone. There are people out there that support us and they're part of our network. They're part of the people that we, we live with and we respect and we have duties towards and they have duties towards us. Now, the people that we invite in, they're always respected members of the community. They provide practical knowledge or common sense on important aspects aspects of the local environment and the local community, including health and safety. So those school connections to sports or local authorities in Britain, in theory, they mean that the governmental oversight's adding another layer of authority and therefore adding more trust to the system. It is another way for them to show that they're part of a larger community and therefore adding security to what they do. And having the students going outwards into the world to kind of do their own duty, that does build that sense of responsibility and That sense of duty and giving something back to the community so if they are working with the older people in the retirement home or if they are working to collect litter then they are giving something back and they are showing that they're becoming responsible citizens which is after all one of the main functions of the traditional school so there's some good stuff of course in the way that the traditional school interacts with the wider community but as with all of these things there's some bath waters so what are are some of the things that might actually be a drawback well one of the issues is just the small-scale of
0: engagement with the community. Like really the world around the school has a lot more to offer than just bringing in people for like a health and safety kind of talk. So in the progressive school, we might want like more genuine and like meaningful two-way conversations with the community as opposed to just sort of having a guest lecturer come in as we'd see more in the traditional school. As well as a mainstream school, we also want to like leverage the community. Like there's a lot of parents out there who are great resources that could help the teaching and learning that are happening in the school. So the more and the better the experts, the better to bring them in. And this also sometimes means that schools actually hire local experts to come in to do some sort of like workshop or perhaps some kind of week-long activity to like really benefit the students. As far as school boards in traditional schools go, they actually have very little oversight and are essentially there just to make sure that schools are funded and that they're running and they don't have any major issues. So in no way are they really there to serve like the bettering of education, which might be the emphasis from a school board in the mainstream schools or even in the progressive schools. And they would want criteria and they would want sort of like a meaningful relationship and interaction between these two parties, as opposed to just kind of an authority in the traditional school to make sure that things are still going as they should be and still moving. Of course, I'm not saying it's a bathwater that students do Christmas carol singing or you know, an environmental tidy up. That's all good stuff. But again, I think from either of the other two values, the opportunity or the inclusion values, I think we would just want to see the scale of that expanded because, you know, these things we mentioned are nice for the community. But I think we would want to see like, More meaningful and possibly like reoccurring or longer term projects that require more interaction and possibly longer term planning than just kind of these one off events. And yeah, I guess essentially you want to see students stepping out of the school and finding some kind of meaningful role within the community that's genuinely giving back beyond just kind of a one off activity. Now, Larry, you mentioned the heart ladder of interaction. I love the diagram, and let's make sure we put a link to that in this episode. So description. Do you want to just walk us up that ladder? In
1: yes. Yeah, so this is definitely something that is much more applicable as you move towards the progressive school, with students taking a lot of initiative and action and ownership of their learning. But when we're talking about students participating in activities like Christmas carols, and of course those are good. They're fun. They they are meaningful in a in a sense, of course. But are they? Do they have the deep level of meaning that builds the actual skills of the students that they can take forward? Would. probably not too much and so Roger Hart he originally wrote a book called children's participation the theory and practice of evolving young citizens in community development and environmental care so right in line with what we're talking about here and he essentially devised a ladder of participation that has eight rungs now the bottom rung of participation is called manipulation as in the adults decide everything you have no say whatsoever in any part we then move up to a kind of a Decoration where the adults lead the activities, but students are kind of in there a little bit. And then we move little by little up as we pass more and more ownership over to the students. And there's adult-initiated actions, but they're sharing a lot of the decisions with the students before you actually get right to the top rung of the ladder, which is the youth-initiated shared decisions with adults. And what's interesting here is that no point is everything 100% turned over to the the students. And so this top rung of the ladder would be where the, the decision making a shirt and there's a lot of negotiation. So this ladder, and please take a look at it, you can see how the actions that we've described here that the traditional school kids might take of picking up litter and carol singing, it's not totally at the bottom end of the ladder. They may have had some say, but it's quite far down there. The adults will have decided, they will have led, they will have organized, and the students basically will have just been asked to perform or to do a simple task. And so that would be the criticism of both the mainstream and the progressive school in this sort of community work.
0: And I think that connects to our last point as well about the idea of being global citizens in a traditional school. And we mentioned the idea of like maybe there's something like pen pals or a sister school. But by and large, I think the traditional mindset has the idea of like you do what's best for the world by doing what's best for you locally, which is totally true. But it's also true that you can do something locally and regionally or nationally or even globally. So in a traditional school, there's generally a lack of interaction with the wider World. And certainly, as you mentioned, like students aren't having much of a say in terms of that. So, bathwater here might be the lost opportunity for students to be involved in global initiatives or collaborations with experts or other schools from around the world um, that we begin to see more in the mainstream and definitely solidly in the progressive
1: school. So we did it, Rob. After many, many episodes, we visited a virtual traditional school. We analyzed it in depth. And I think we now know more about the traditional school than anyone in the entire history of the world.
0: I fully agree with that.
1: Where do we go? What do we do next, Rob?
0: Well, we go back to the drawing board and we do the exact same thing with the opportunity school and the inclusion school, the mainstream and progressive schools. And we look at them in depth so that we can set these three beside each other and look at them. But in terms of what we do in the short term, you and I have a birthday to celebrate, or perhaps rather an anniversary.
1: Woo! Who would have thought? Which is
0: two full human earth years of the Reinventing Education Podcast and a 50th episode on the way
1: unbelievable i'm proud and happy to have done this stuff with you mcleod
0: i remember it was two years ago roughly about now that you and i walked up the Feldberg mountain in the Taunus hills north of frankfurt germany and i think we acknowledged hey you're moving to Japan. I'm going to Belgium. We're going to lose contact. All these great ideas we've been building up over time. For sure, we're just going to lose this friendship at this point. Shall we agree to do the podcast? And I remember you said, I'm in as long as we do at least 100 episodes. And here we are reaching the The halfway point of that, with our fiftieth episode on the way. Fifty
1: episodes, and we ate the cheesecake, that delicious cheesecake that they have at the top near the Fuchstanz, the Fox, the Käsekuchen,
0: which was this insanely wonderful and charming little cafe. That there are two ways to get there. Either you take an arduous two-hour hike up a mountain to reach this place, or you just drive three minutes up the back of the hill with your car, park in the parking lot, and walk 50 meters to get there. We took the
1: hard way. Spoiler alert. We We had no cars. Yeah, but we're still here and, uh, and I, I really appreciate the ongoing conversation and uh, we're making headway in, in our map and the pitch I made was that our 50th would be a start here 3.0 where we take 30, 45, maybe even 60 minutes to set out that Reinventing Education map and see where we're at and how we think we would go about reinventing education. Does that sound like something that we'd both be up for in the next episode? No,
0: let's do something different.
1: Okay, fine. <laughs> you may have yes. said no. I'm in. And I have to do it by myself. But don't worry, I'm going solo. Yes, he will. He's going to do it. Hooray. All right, Mike. Much appreciate Thanks, the Brendan. conversation as always. Thanks, Rob. Take it breezy. Stay safe. All right.
0: Thanks, Brandon. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter. We're kind of building a community there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on What We're Saying.